And we've come now to a message today entitled, The False Prophet. In 2017, the online retailer Amazon announced that they had big plans to change again the way that we buy and shop. Amazon had just purchased the upscale grocer Whole Foods for $13.7 billion. And the plan was for Amazon to sell groceries via their website, but also through a new brick-and-mortar chain called Amazon Go. And it's already opened, those stores have, in a few major U.S. cities. Now, the concept of this store is very different than the typical Walmart or supermarket where you would load your shopping cart and then pay at the checkout line. Amazon Go is designed so that shoppers can use their smartphone and an app on that to help them make the shopping experience quick and convenient. So here's how that would work. The customer would walk into the store, they would turn the Amazon app on their phone, fill their cart with food or items, and the app in their phone was linked to their Amazon account. And sensors inside the store would automatically charge customers for the products they had loaded into their cart. And since there's no need for cards or cash for the transaction, the shopper then can just walk out of the store with their items and they're automatically billed to their Amazon account. In fact, one reporter for Forbes Financial Magazine described the experience like this. He said, Amazon Go is a game changer for the retail industry. It feels almost like the experience of shoplifting, except it's legal and it feels like the future. Now, Amazon isn't the only industry to go cashless. If you've been on an airplane recently, you know that major airlines like Delta and Southwest and America now have electronic cabins or cashless cabins as they call them. They will send a, your boarding pass straight to your phone and you don't need to go to the desk to print one out. Did you know that today you can order a pizza or buy movie tickets or even pick up a Coke from a vending machine just with a few touches of your smartphone? Maybe some of you have rode around in an Uber and Uber has revolutionized the taxi industry Anyone who has a vehicle and a smartphone can now turn their vehicle into a taxi. And of course, what makes all of these industries work is that it's all cashless, it's all digital, and it's all handled through our smart devices. How many of you remember those things called ATMs? <laughs> Some of you might still use them. But did you know that according to one report, in 2017, the ATM turned 50 years old and it seems that it has hit a midlife crisis as fewer and fewer people are using them today. In fact, direct deposit, online banking, and mobile pay apps are making the ATM and the brick-and-mortar outlets of banks seem obsolete. By 2020, financial experts project that smartphone purchases will overtake desktop computer revenues. Everybody's moving in this direction of cashless. And then there is this thing called Bitcoin. Bitcoin has revolutionized how people buy and sell online. In case you don't know, Bitcoin is what is called cryptocurrency. It's a form of digital money that is not regulated by a government or a single bank. 
So anybody around the world can exchange their dollars or their pesos or their euros for Bitcoin and they can go on the internet and purchase with this and what this ensures is total anonymity which is exactly what some folk are looking for when they go to the dark web and they're looking to buy drugs or guns or other illegal paraphernalia. Here's the way one economist has summarized the situation today. He said this, The long-predicted cashless society has quietly arrived. Electronic money is cheaper than cash or checks, and it is more convenient. Cash is now a relic of the past, like the steam engine, Polaroid camera, and VHS player. We have crossed a cultural and economic threshold, he said, when ones and zeros and money are synonymous. So we see in our world a growing trend toward a cashless society, toward a world that is interconnected in our technology and our economics. And this is exciting to many people. For one, it's going to mean convenience. And two, it's going to drive all kinds of new technology into the market. But the most significant reason that we ought to be taking note of this is how these signs are aligning with Bible prophecy. Somebody has said, if you want to know what happened yesterday, read the newspaper. If you want to know what happened today, watch the 6 o'clock broadcast. And if you want to know what's going to happen tomorrow, read your Bible. And so the quantum leaps that we have made toward an interconnected world where buying and selling is tracked through a digital network, did you know that's exactly the kind of scenario that could play into the hands of a world ruler who is wanting to control people through their wallets. Now, we opened Revelation 13 last week, and as we studied the first few verses of that, we met a figure, a despotic ruler, who John called the beast. He is going to rise to power during a time of tribulation in the future. He is best known as the Antichrist. He will be Satan's CEO. And one of the ways that he is going to gain control over this world is by an economic system that will force people to buy and sell with only his prescribed mark. You've probably heard of that, the mark of the beast, 666. Now we see this kind of groundwork for the Antichrist New World Order being laid in our time, especially as we move toward a more technologically connected world, and a cashless world. Because cash represents freedom. It represents autonomy. But what happens when the day comes and cash is obsolete? And every purchase has to be made via a central banking system. I know it sounds far off, but I think it's closer than you might realize. Now in Revelation 13, as we come to the last half of this chapter, we read about the Antichrist's lieutenant a right-hand man whom scholars call the false prophet. And he's going to be the one that aids the Antichrist in setting up this economic system that will allow the Antichrist to rule over the whole world. So if you're taking notes here this morning, in chapter 13 of verses 11 through 15, I want you to read with me about, number one, the false prophet of the end times. The false prophet of the end times. Let's just open our Bibles and read there. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. 
It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. And it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. It makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Now, how many of you know that Satan is a great imitator of God? He's a copycat of God. We know that God exists in a trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And during the end time, Satan is going to try and mimic God through a perverted trinity of evil. And we just read a little bit about it in chapter 13. Satan is going to be allowed to run the world through his puppet, the Antichrist, and below him will be a lieutenant called the false prophet, or the second beast who rises from the earth, which chapter 13 calls him. So, as Satan would counterfeit God the Father, and the Antichrist counterfeiting as God the Son, the false prophet then would stand in the mimicking role of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit has one great job description. That is to glorify the Son. So, in the same way, the false prophet is got the job of shining the spotlight on this coming world leader, this Antichrist, and causing people around the world to worship him as a god. Now, we read a little bit about this false prophet here. I want you to notice two things about his character that John points out. The first one is the deception of the false prophet. We read a little bit about that in verse 11. It says that he saw that beast rising out of the earth with two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. Then in verse 12, he exercises all authority as the first beast and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, the first beast being the Antichrist. Now, John's description of this false prophet combines two opposing creatures, a lamb and a dragon. In other words, what he's saying to us, through this symbolic language, is that the false prophet will look unthreatening. He will have the appearance of a lamb. He might be gentle. But when he speaks, his words will be destructive and deceptive and demonic. In fact, this false prophet of the end times will be the culmination of all of the false prophets that Jesus has warned us about. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7? He said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And so this false prophet will be like that. John Phillips, a great Bible scholar, wrote about the character of the false prophet like this. He said, quote, The role of the false prophet will be to make the Antichrist religion palatable to men. His arguments will be subtle, convincing, and appealing. His oratory will be hypnotic where he will be able to move masses to tears or whip them into a frenzy. He will control the communication of the media and will be a master of every promotion device and publicity gimmick. He continued, he said, His deadly appeal will lie in his ability to verbalize what sounds so right, so sensible, so exactly what unregenerate men have always wanted to hear. The deception of the false prophet. But then John moves on and he talks to us about the deeds of the false prophet. Now the false prophet is going to use a myriad of tactics to get people to accept the Antichrist and to worship him as a deity. One way that he will do this, according to verse 13, is by miracles. Look at what verse 13 tells us. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth 
in front of people. So just like Elijah, he's going to mimic that and be able through the power of Satan to do these kinds of miracles. And then we also keep reading in verse 14 and 15, and we will see that he will help the Antichrist build an idol where people will bow down to that idol and worship it. Look at what verse 14 says. And by signs that is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Reminded me of that passage in Daniel chapter 3 where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken to the plains there in Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar has erected that huge golden idol of himself and they're commanded to bow down and they refuse to do it. Well, the Antichrist is going to have this happen during the tribulation and the one who's going to be working on his behalf will be the false prophet who will set up this idol. Now you may wonder, where will this be? I believe, according to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2 and what Jesus taught in Matthew 24, that this image is going to be set up in the most holy place of the newly rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. And we see there that the Bible tells us that he will be able to give life to this image. Somehow through his sorcery or through advanced technology, perhaps like a hologram or something like that, the false prophet will be able to bring this image to life and thus furthering the deception and people will fall down and worship. Now, I don't know how far you are along on the cutting edge of technology, how fast you are able to keep up with things because our world is changing at an exponential rate. But I was doing some study this week about an interesting technology that has emerged, a dangerous technology that has just come out in the past couple of years that's being used, and it could be, as I see it, a type of a forerunner technology to what the false prophet might do in causing deception among the masses. It's called a deep fake. D-E-E-P, and then fake. What is a deep fake? Well, deep fake is the ability, listen to this, through artificial intelligence and through high-definition imaging, to create videos of people that look and sound just like the real thing. And in fact, numerous videos of these kinds have already been created and uploaded to the internet. And they are videos of President Obama, President Trump, world leaders like Vladimir Putin giving speeches that they never gave. But as you can see, look at the technology. On, the, on one side, you see the stand-in actor. And then on the other side, you see how they're able to take this artificial technology and this high-definition imaging and create almost a spot-on look-alike. So here you see one man uh, posing as Vladimir Putin. And then look at this gentleman on the one side. You see him as he is in real life. And then you see how the technology makes him look and sound like President Obama. And then this has also been done with Donald Trump as well. There was an article in the Washington Post a newspaper about this, warning people about this kind of technology. And here's what that article said. Powerful new AI software has effectively democratized the creation of conniving deep fake videos that make it easier than ever to fabricate someone appearing to say something they didn't really say. 
Researchers fear it is only a matter of time before these videos are deployed for maximum damage to sow confusion, fuel doubt, or undermine an opponent potentially on the eve of a White House vote. Now you can see how if this kind of technology got into the wrong hands, how it might be used to convince people of anything. If you can create a video that sounds and looks exactly like a world leader to the point where you can't tell the difference, imagine what this could do if this was in the hands of the false prophet and the Antichrist. And add to that the fact that the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2 that during the tribulation, a strong delusion will overtake the masses and you already have a recipe for deception on a massive scale. Well, that's the false prophet of the end times. Then in the last few verses of this passage, we read about the financial program of the end times. You see, the false prophet is going to help the Antichrist set up this system in our world where he will be able to exploit and oppress people through economics. Look at what verse 16 says. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. So that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So, as we read here, during the tribulation, those who will not bow down and worship the Antichrist, they will not do that willingly, then he has a way to force them to do it by hitting them where it hurts the most, and that is their bank account. So we read here that people alive during the future time of tribulation are going to be forced to make a choice. Accept the mark of the beast and worship the Antichrist as a god or starve to death with no ability to buy or sell. So think about this. Your bank account would be frozen. No one would be able to shop at the grocery without the mark of the beast. You wouldn't be able to eat at a restaurant, fill up at a gas station, pay utilities, or even pay a mortgage unless you had that number, that mark of the beast. Now we have a faint glimmer of this in some forms already in our world. Life under a totalitarian government provides a glimpse of what the Antichrist would want to do. I read the comments of a man who lived through a harsh communist regime in Bulgaria. And he gave a testimony of how miserable it was to live under the heavy hand of that communist government where they handed out ration cards. And here's what he said. He said, you cannot understand and you cannot know the most terrible instrument of persecution ever devised is an innocent ration card. You can't buy and sell except according to that little innocent card. If they pleases them, you can be starved to death. And if they please, they can dispossess you of everything you have. Now, there's a lot of speculation today about this mark of the beast. We read that it is a number given there as 666. But don't get too worked up about that. It is merely just a symbolic meaning. And we're told there in verse 18 what it means. It's the number of a man. Now, in the Bible, seven is a very important number. Seven, we know, is God's perfect number of completion. 
In fact, the whole book of Revelation is built on a series of sevens, is it not? Seven seals and seven churches and seven trumpets and seven angels and so on. You, you could really go crazy making a list of all the sevens that are in this book. But six is the number of man. And that goes all the way back to the Genesis creation account where we hear there that God created man on what day? Day six. So 666 merely represents the best and most advanced that man can be without God. And so the mark is an emblem of the height of man's ingenuity to the point that he thinks he is a God. But in God's eyes, he's only a six. He's not God and therefore he's lacking. He's imperfect. He is incomplete. Now what is significant about this is that not so much the number, but for the first time in history, we now have the technology to achieve a marriage of biology and technology and our economy so that the mark of the beast today is achievable. Let me just give you a few headlines from the news. In 2018, The Atlantic, not exactly a Christian publication, they ran the following headline. Let me read it to you. Why you're probably getting a microchip implant someday. That was the headline of the story. And then the article went on to explain how there's tech companies all across the United States and early adopting nations in Europe where people are lining up to be implanted with these RFID chips into their bodies so that they can be seamlessly integrated with their technology and their gadgets. I recently read about a tech company in Wisconsin. They're called Three Square. And they offered to microchip all of their employees. In fact, if you're going to be an employee there, you have to get the microchip. It's implanted into the wrist, and employees can use that to check into the building. They just wave their hand, and a sensor picks it up. They can go into the cafeteria and get whatever food they want and wave their hand over a sensor, and it automatically keeps track of everything that they've purchased there. In fact, the CEO of this company made this statement in an article. He said, eventually, this technology will become standardized, allowing you to use it as your passport, public transit, and your wallet. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that this is the mark of the beast. Please don't go from here saying that. But what I am saying is this, that the kind of technology that exists today is already here and it makes it possible for something like the mark of the beast to be implemented. Especially when you have a cashless society, which is the direction that we are moving. Because if you don't have cash anymore, then whoever is controlling the system, which we know one day will be the Antichrist and the false prophet, they can know everything about you. Where you're going, what you're buying, everything. In fact, one prophecy scholar, Ron Rode, made this insightful comment. Look at what he wrote. He said, I don't think there is any doubt that a cashless system will be the means by which the Antichrist controls who can buy or sell during the tribulation period. After all, if the world economy were still cash-based, it would be impossible for the Antichrist to track purchases and enforce who can buy or sell. Cash represents personal freedom, and only in a cashless world with a centralized electronic transaction system would total control be possible. He said, it is obvious 
that any leader wanting to control the world's economy would avail themselves of the power that an electronic cashless system holds as a tool for implementing world domination. Now think about this, friends. It's amazing. Go back 50 years. Go back 30 years. It was nearly impossible to imagine somebody having the technology and the power to control the whole world through buying and selling. But with the technology that we have today, and the way that it is already ingrained and so intertwined in our daily lives, you can see today how it's all beginning to come together. And people accept technology as part and parcel of what it means today to live in a 21st century world, and therefore it's going to make it easier for the Antichrist and the false prophet just to do a seamless transition into their system. So what are we to take away from all of this? What are the applications? I would note just two things today. I'd say the first thing that you need to realize as we study this passage is number one, be hopeful. Be hopeful. Why? Because we are on the cusp. We are on the cutting edge of seeing things come together like the world has never seen before. All of the technology that the Antichrist and the false prophet need to wire together the world for their evil purposes is here. And what does that mean? It means that the world stage is being set for the return of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. The final act of divine drama is about to begin. And so, look at the world. Look at how we are moving. The convergence of the signs prove beyond a shadow of doubt that we are indeed living in the last days. The rebirth of Israel, the technology that connects our world, the growing immorality that we see as man uh, rejects God, the alignment of the nations, a, a European Union over in Europe, the apostasy in the church. Friends, it's all coming together. And don't lose hope. Don't look at the world and say, oh, the world is falling apart. No, the world is falling into place just as God's Word said it would be. And as I read it and as I see the world taking shape, I think, my God knows the end from the beginning and everything in between. And if it happens as He says it does, then He knows everything about my life as well. He holds me. He keeps me. He loves me. He knows me. So friend, the hour is later than we might realize. Think about it like this. In the fall... We see Christmas decorations come out. Seems like it comes out earlier and earlier every year, doesn't it? When you go to the restaurant or when you go to the mall and it's, say, the first part of November and you're walking around and you see Christmas decorations up, what does that tell you? It tells you that Thanksgiving is really close, doesn't it? Because Thanksgiving happens before Christmas, doesn't it? When you look at our world and you see all of these things converging and all these things aligning at one time, what does it tell us? It tells us that the rapture of the church is sooner than you might realize. And I get up every day excited and I think to myself, perhaps today, perhaps today. Be hopeful. But then I'd also say to you, friend, be prepared. Because Jesus' return is sure. It is sudden. And friend, it is soon. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I am looking for Jesus Christ 
who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lion and the Lamb. And friend, perhaps today He could come and that would be alright with me. I'm ready to see my Savior face to face. I'm ready to cast a crown at His feet. Ready to sing with the angels. Ready to receive that resurrection body. Ready to see the world leaders bow at His feet and say, You are King of kings. Jesus, You are Lord of lords. Be hopeful. Be prepared. Friend, this is an exciting time to live. We can look out in our world and we can see the puzzle pieces being put down and praise God we can say, my word of God is true. It's real. My God is alive. Prophecy is real. And Jesus Christ is coming soon. So, are you ready? Do you know Him today as your personal Lord and Savior? The great Bible expositor from years ago, Donald Gray Barnhouse, told a fascinating story that I think is a great parallel into the return of our Lord. He said, The children of the great composer Johann Sebastian Bach found that the easiest method of awaking their father was to play a few lines of music and leave off the last note. Now, for those of you who are OCD, that would drive you insane. He said this, the musician would arise immediately after hearing that and go to the piano and strike the final chord. He had to have that resolution. Here's what Donald Barnhouse said. He said, I tried this experiment once at my house just to see the reactions I would get. I awoke early one morning and went to the piano in our home and played Silent Night. But I purposefully stopped playing just before the last note. He said, I walked out into the hallway and listened for the sounds that came from my family. Upstairs, our eight-year-old had stopped reading and started to play the final note on the harmonica. Another child was singing the last note lustily. And then he said, my wife called, did you do that on purpose? What's the matter? And there's what the point that he made. He said, our very nature demands the completion of the octave. Just as history demands that Christ return and finish the final strokes of history. And friend, when you read about 666 and you see the way that our world is going, it reminds us, hey, there is something missing in this world. In fact, it's not a something, it's a someone. And He is coming on the clouds with glory, with all power and authority in His hands. And He's a seven in every way. He's perfect. He's complete. He's God's precious Son. He's a sinner's Savior. And friend, He loves you today more than you could ever know. And and when Christ returns, He will put that final note of history. He'll write the last word. He'll strike the final chord. And friend, then it will usher in that perfect ending that our souls have always longed for. That's our Jesus and that's our Christ. And I hope that you know Him today in a real and a personal way. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, you can come today. You can meet Him. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the grave. He offers you new life. He offers you forgiveness and mercy. He doesn't care about what your past looks like. How old you are. How young you are. What your religious, religious background is. What your story is. Because when grace comes in, it rewrites the story. 